The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Ten after ten o'clock. Welcome to the second hour of the show, uh, the Wellness Corner that we are calling it for the next couple of weeks, at least uh, for this time slot, as we look at um, issues of trauma and really, uh, of course, focus on issues of mental health, but also understanding the impact of trauma. The reality is that. You just have to be alive to have experienced traumatic events. And um, the extent of the trauma that you have experienced, of course, will very much be determined by some of uh, the circumstances and conditions that you have gone through as a, as a person, as a human being. But whether or not we've all experienced trauma, I think, you know, everybody can probably answer yes to that question. And the big issue here is how do we begin to deal with our trauma in a way that ensures that we are productive in a way that ensures that we are not reacting even to situations in our day-to-day lives that are from the experience of our trauma and not really from the uh, experience of from our rational mind thinking, if if I can put it that way. And Umfundo Mohabi is the director for the Center for Mental Wellness and Leadership. She joins us on the line. Says Numfundo, good morning to you. Uh, thanks for your time again today. Good morning, Kathy. It's just always an honor to be to be here. Of course, we started off last week talking about um, just the recognition of trauma. And you asked us the question, what happened to you? What happened to me that was traumatic? Are we able to recognize those things? Are we able to name those things? Um, One of the things you said was that you cannot forgive uh, what you cannot name. So you have to be able uh, to say out loud that this is what happens to me, uh, very much as a trigger to beginning uh, any process of, of, of healing. Um, you, of course, also told us about our amygdala, the portion of the brain uh, that also stores uh, traumatic experiences. And when we are triggered, you know, we are responding from our amygdala, which means that our responses can often be irrational um, and not really in line and erratic and not in line with what we are, what we're trying to uh, confront in a moment. Have I captured that correctly? You've captured it so well, Kathy. Yes, definitely. We were really focusing. And, and I think the other thing that we emphasized last time was that when we talk about trauma, we can talk about trauma-focused interventions, which means that you need to go for therapy and counseling and address that trauma. And that is still important. And in South Africa, we have an appreciation of that. But what we haven't had an appreciation of, and which is a field that is fast growing, is to have trauma-informed interventions. By trauma-informed interventions basically means that it is not just about me going to counseling for my trauma, but it's about understanding that anyone that I interface with at home, at the workplace, Wherever I am, I am are likely to hold trauma. I'm likely to come with the trauma. So, and and how do we then begin to have interventions that shift 
how we do things. And I think for me, as we do this research around COVID-19, that's the biggest thing for South Africa to say, how do we shift the way we do things? Today, of course, we are specifically looking at um, symptoms of trauma and looking at the different clusters of, of, of trauma experiences. Yes, definitely. So I'm I'm hoping we can just go a bit more into those, Kathy. Yes. And I do hope we can have time also to touch on these principles of trauma-informed intervention. So I think we established last time the neurobiology, as you have actually talked about it, and how also trauma can impact us at a biological, social, psychological, and spiritual level. How trauma can just bring questions about our own existence, uh, our own meaning and hope and the reason why we are living. So what we know, and I'm emphasizing this again, Kate, because once we can recognize trauma, then we are better uh, able to respond. So one of some of the categories that um, we know that can manifest themselves at a personal level, but also at a systemic level is traumatic grief. This is a huge thing um, in in our country generally, but it's exacerbated by COVID-19. So if you are finding yourself that you have had a loss in your life, but it wasn't, I mean, a loss is never normal and a loss is painful, but there was a trauma that was related to it. The way in which you've lost that thing or the person, um, maybe somebody was murdered, it was a car accident, or you lost something um, that was stolen from you. So traumatic grief. And the traumatic grief can really arrest your development and also impact your functioning because most of the people end up being stuck in the grief. So we might be talking to people now who say even, even so to highlight again, Kathy, you can lose tangible things, but also intangible things like your dignity, your sense of self-respect, your honor. You know, we've been with um, people who say, you know, my partner cheated on me. And, and that was like a traumatic grief, that loss of my marriage, the idea of my relationship. So again, the, 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 the big T's and the small T's and grief. But the challenge with traumatic grief, you know, if you don't deal with it, Kathy, you are likely to become stuck in it. And I want to just talk to people who are saying, you know, Nomfundo, since I lost my mother or someone three years ago, it feels like my, my life hasn't moved. Um, you can have PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder. We talked about it last time, that it has three clusters, hyperarousal, so you're always irritable, arose, scared all the time. You can have avoidance where you're constantly trying to avoid any conversation, any reminders of that particular trauma. And then, of course, we said that it um, can also, you can also find yourself having intrusive symptoms or re-experiencing. When you sit, you're just thinking about that thing. It intrudes your your memory. So that is the PTSD. There are people who have complex trauma, Kathy. So complex trauma is usually when it has happened over a long period of time. So most people who are in abusive relationships, so you've been in that experience, is prolonged, it's over a prolonged period of time, it is repeated. We call that complex trauma. And the thing about complex trauma as opposed to just once-off experience of trauma, it, shapes, it changes your identity 
the way you see yourself. Some people end up, you know, I mean, I've had people that I've worked with who used to believe and trust in themselves, but they get surrounded by people who attack their sense of self-worth and they end up thinking of themselves exactly like other people thought of them. They lose their sense of people. So that is complex trauma. We have vicarious trauma, Kathy, which we see a lot in the healthcare sector where you are helping people that are traumatized. So you are also vicariously just listening to stories. There are some of us who are not healthcare practitioners, but we have families that have experienced traumas. So just always helping those people without taking care of ourselves can result in vicarious trauma. Um, compassion, fatigue, a disease of care. And, and, and these are people where you find that initially you started as a teacher or whatever role you play, and you used to care for the people you work for, the people that you are helping, but all of a sudden you don't care anymore. And this is a crisis in the public sector of people who have stretched themselves and they now have compassion fatigue. There's people they work with are just a number. You, you know, the nurses don't care anymore and they used to care. It's actually a disease that needs to be addressed. And the last two ones, Kathy, which we talked about last week was that you can actually have collective trauma. You can have collect you can have families collectively traumatized. You can have um, societies. And we then also talked last week about the fact that trauma can be historical. Remember, we talked about the epigenetics and how trauma can shape our genetic makeup. And finally, Katie, just on the symptoms, what we also know is that trauma can fuel certain mental health problems. So it can exacerbate uh, depression and anxiety and it can fuel it. Also, we know that um, people, it can make people to be stuck with shame and depression and adverse childhood experiences. So if you really, really grew up in, in, in a place where there was always challenges at home, um, your childhood was difficult, at school it was difficult, there was poverty, there was a lot of loss in your life, there was a divorce at home, all those adverse childhood experiences can affect you. So that is just very, the broad glass decade, then we can go a bit deeper, that I want us to keep in mind when we are talking about what is trauma. Mm, I think let's begin by looking a bit more closely at traumatic grief. Um, especially kind of looking at where we have come from as a society out of COVID-19, people having lost their loved ones, having in a very traumatic way, in the sense that people weren't able to, uh, in some instances, go to hospitals to see their loved ones. They weren't able to bury them uh, and the impact that that would have had on the long run. Yeah, and, and a very important point. So we are now acknowledging in the trauma field that COVID-19 can be acknowledged as collective trauma. And as you say, Kathy, what has made the grief that is related to COVID-19 a traumatic grief is the way in which the people have been lost. So the fact that um, other people will tell you that when my the, my loved one went to hospital, I couldn't connect with them, I couldn't see them. But also the things that we used to have for centuries and how we bury people got completely taken away with COVID. People can come home, they have to go straight and, and you, you have to be covered by all these protective guests. That in and of itself is quite traumatic. Added to that, Kathy, is the fact that a lot of people 
have lost, have had multiple losses. And then, you know, family members have not just or lost only one person. And the suddenness of the loss is also considered. So you didn't even prepare. I mean, people died within a few days, Kathy. Um, and the fact that it was at a collective scale, so even the people that ordinarily would have supported you, they were themselves too stressed to can be able to support you. So when I talk about, you know, the nature of, of COVID-19 loss, I say we need to look at its magnitude, the multiple nature of the loss at the length, which means it was prolonged trauma, at the scale of the loss, which made it collective trauma, at the, the relentlessness of the loss, which made it continuous trauma, and of course, the intensity. It was repeat trauma. We've had fem people who've said, I've lost two or three family members. So you can already appreciate, Kathy, like the depth and the nature of the COVID-19 loss. And I don't think we've begun as a country to unpack what do we have lost, not just the loved ones. People have lost jobs. That's a traumatic grief as a result of that. People have lost relationships. We've had an increase of divorce, an exponential increase of divorce since COVID-19. So definitely we, we can consider that loss uh, related to COVID-19 as, as traumatic grief. How how do you respond to people who say that, you know, I have gone through this incredible loss, um, and and I think you would probably also characterize it under the traumatic grief, and they feel like they are stuck in that loss, and they they don't know how to move on, regardless yeah. of their best efforts to to actually try. Yeah. So I'll talk a bit about that, Kathy. And I just want to highlight to people to say, you know, what are some of the symptoms? When should you be concerned? The first one, Kathy, is if you find that there's no grief at all. So there are some people who will tell you that I have no emotional response. No wonder. I am just numb. That could be an indication that you're really entering um, traumatic grief, which will therefore have complicated uh, symptoms. Some people will have delayed grief. They'll tell you that I didn't cry. I felt nothing until after a month or two months. So, and the fact that it was delayed and the symptoms came up much later, it means that the intensity of the impact in your psyche is much higher. And then there are people who have protracted or prolonged grief. So the thing is, Katie, that Grief is difficult, and and the reason that makes grief so difficult is because grief is not just about about one symptom, one emotion. You feel a lot of emotions at the same time. So there are certain stages that we know that, you know, people, they're not, of course, linear, Kathy, but we know that people move from shock and denial to anger and blame to depression to finally not even, we don't call it acceptance. I like them statement that say you you don't necessarily accept what has happened, but we are able to move forward. But when you find that yourself even years after the loss, you are not able to move forward, it still gets overwhelming, then you could be having protected or prolonged grief. And of course, we also know the isolated grief when you suffer alone. So if you see any of these, I think you really need to look at some possibly getting help. But there are certain strategies and things we know that help, Kathy. First of all, grief looks for connection and intimacy, right? We are relational beings. And as much as the last thing you want to do is to talk to people, it is actually in connection with the people that love you. 
tell them how to help you because sometimes they don't know how to help you tell them what you need allow i just you know uh, there might be someone right now who says no fund i've been so stricken i have pushed everyone away from my life I, i just invite you to permission yourself to open up your heart, heart a bit more to welcome people a bit more some of the people even because you were betrayed by people you no longer want to invite people in your life actually if you don't have connection and intimacy it is going to affect you negatively talk and talk and talk and talk because when you talk about it when you talk about the loss you move it from the amygdala because amygdala remember kitty has no language is about survival you bring it into your cerebral cortex meaning making is one of the most powerful ways of being able to heal so meaning making is about talking about your loved one beginning to understand what are some of the things you are learning from them from their life so that also really really helps and finding an outlet have a journal where you can write um the other thing that other people find really powerful is writing a letter to your loved one and and telling them how you are feeling if you are somebody who has a loss cause you were betrayed or people failed you write a letter to those people you can tear it out and burn it later but what you do is that you externalize we call it narrative therapy you are externalizing that pain you are moving it from the amygdala that doesn't process to a place where you give it a language so if there's any painful experience in your life where when you talk about it you don't even have the language for it it's actually indicating that it could really be deeply rooted in your amygdala because the amygdala doesn't have language and finally kathy like find a ritual you know find something maybe um something like being able to for example have a candle that remind you of that loved one um some people will plant a tree to remind them of that person find a way a ritual that you have that says to you something significant has happened in your life and you need to find a way of accepting and being able to move forward mm. so those are just some of the strategies Kathy of dealing with with uh, traumatic grief I'm also thinking about it from the perspective of being the person that can be supportive um especially for somebody else who might be going through grief and you talk about you know this need for connection and and intimacy in dealing with grief relationships really being able to talk about it how do we respond especially where 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 sometimes people might feel like well I've been talking about this for a long time or even the people that have been listening feel like you've been talking about this for a long time um isn't it time that that you moved on from from talking about this grief yeah this is such an important point that you are putting Kathy this sense that there is a time frame to grief and most of the time the ones that haven't experience it personally and being like the most impacted impacted are the ones that tend to put these timelines because we get too tired we think it's too much there is no timeline for grief Kathy and the timeline it is over when the person that feels it says that it is over as long as they feel the need to talk about it it means that the brain is processing it i think 
most of the time is the people that are trying to help, we feel so helpless. So you need to learn how to sit in that helplessness because the helplessness that you are feeling is just like only 2% of what the person who is grieving is going through. So most of us, because it's so uncomfortable to sit in the discomfort, we do all sorts of things. To You are not there to make the person better. You are there to stay with them in the grief and to hold their hand. They are the ones that will do the work of recovery mm -hmm. and being able to find themselves. So oh. there is no timeline. Mm -hmm. Learn to sit in the discomfort. If they cry, sit with them. You can ask them and say, is there anything else I can do? So sit. I mean, I know I had a friend who lost um, her husband in a car accident. It took up to three years. She would just come to my room and she'll just cry and scream. And you must remember, Kathy, you know, there's different types of, of, of pains. There is a pain that maybe could keep you stuck in the past, but there's also a pain. They might look exactly like the same pain, but the other pain is a pain of recovery. Mm. So crying, talking about the loved one, looking at the pictures. And I think with this traumatic grief, a lot of people need that, need people who say, are you brave enough to sit in the darkness with me? Because when Fundo, I can sit in it, yeah. I'm going to yes. ask you to pause it there. I'm so sorry to interrupt you uh, as you make this very, very important point. And I want us to pick up on it uh, when we continue. It's just after 10.30. Time for the latest news headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Motsasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation this morning for our Wellness Corner. We're uh, taking a look at the principles of a trauma-responsive approach uh, to life. And today we've been unpacking the various cluster uh, clusters of trauma that exist. Uh, Doctor, I mean, <laughs> Numfundo Mohabi, rather, is the d director for the Center for uh, Mental Wellness and Leadership. And she's going to be uh, running through the series of conversations for us as we're really take a deeper look at trauma, how it has affected us and how we can begin to deal with that trauma and ultimately have a better quality of life because that's what we need. Uh, we need to be well so that, um, as, uh, as I've heard Sis Numfundo saying it before, that when we are broken, you know, we not only uh, bleed on ourselves, we also bleed on others. And you can imagine the impact that that then has on those that are around us and then multiply it with a number of people that are working and, and living life from that brokenness, from, uh, you know, that lack of, from that space of, of lack of healing. Uh, we've been focusing quite a bit on, on the issue of traumatic grief as a cluster and much of it also uh, relating to the way in which perhaps people have lost uh, their lives and how often that kind of grief can manifest itself. I will still take your calls on your own experiences here. Zero eight six triple zero two zero three two and perhaps you want to call in and really ask Assess Numfundo for, for specific advice in relation to, to issues that you feel you may be struggling with when it comes to this conversation of um, you know traumatic grief, being unable to really move on 
uh, being unable to overcome perhaps even a loss that you have experienced in your life, in, in your family. And and I think, Sesnum Fundo, what you're saying before the news is, is such an important uh, point to raise because, again, often we just don't know how to help people that have suffered uh, an enormous loss. From the point where it, we are told whether it's a friend that has lost uh, a loved one or a family member, oftentimes we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do. And, and, and I think that in and of itself can be quite limiting, at least in the way that we, we see ourselves being a, a support system for those that are going through loss. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of what complicates that is the pressure that we have on ourselves that, as I said, Katie, that we are there to make the person feel better. So you are not there to make the person feel better. You are there to sit with them in the pain because inside of them, they have all the resources that they need to can navigate the grief. But they need to be able to have someone who sits with them, who witnesses the grief, who validates their experience. And actually, after you have sat with the person, you might find that you end up yourself feeling helpless and not being able to help. That That is what empathy is about because you are entering in, your sh- in their shoes and you begin to experience just a percentage. I've had people who say, you know, just the fact that someone came in and sat with me in my grief. When they left, I felt a bit better. But the person who sits with that person might leave feeling worse, almost feeling like I did nothing. But the fact that you sat with them, you held it together, can really, really be powerful. So, and that is the crisis that we have now, Katie, that we don't have people who have the emotional capacity to sit with difficult emotions and if we haven't done the work ourselves, we get very scared of emotions. So I think the biggest thing is do not be afraid of painful and difficult emotions. Just know that you are there to sit with the person and there is no timeline. One minute they can be okay, but a trigger, like anything can trigger them and remind them of a loved one. It could be somebody wearing the same T-shirt. And if they cry as if it happened yesterday, don't tell them, hey, it's been you. you, you can't be the one who tells a person how long they should grieve or not grieve. If it becomes really, really overwhelming, then refer them, you know, to people that can be able to assist them and just encourage that maybe they can go and get help so they can get professionals who can assist. What you're saying is is, is so powerful Um, because, again, there is a tendency to to rush people through the, the healing process, you know, to say, okay, um, don't you think that you, you've you've cried for for long enough now, and and sometimes we'll even end up using ourselves as examples and saying, well, I've gone through this, I've gone through that, but look at how strong I am. That's the worst thing to do for somebody who grieves, Kathy, um, because you have to really understand that. People get impacted different, even from the same family. You could have lose, lost like the same brother, but people respond differently. And the 
paths to recovery and the length is different depending on who those people are. So as people that help the loved one, I want to repeat, you cannot be the one that sets the timeline. But what for me, Katie, that gets even more concerning is that the people themselves that are going through grief put a timeline. I've worked with people who said, no, it's been too long, I should be okay now. And that puts an added burden because they label their emotions, they label themselves as being weak. And I have seen, you know, such um, important recovery when people give themselves a permission slip and say, it will take as long as it needs to take. Uh, I, it's okay for me to talk. Other people even give themselves rules. I am not going to talk about this person. Um, I am not going to go to certain places. And that thing just complicates the grief. So I think finally, Kathy, because we are a society that does not know how to deal with difficult emotions, we either put them under the carpet or we suppress them or we project them and attack others. We do the same when we, because grief is one of the most intense emotional experiences. So if you haven't learned to sit with your emotions, how do you sit with the emotions of others? Wow, what 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 you're saying is 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 really really profound, says uh, Numfund, and I think will help so many of us in in future where we have to deal with um, you know loved ones, friends that are going through grief that we don't have yeah. to. Uh, feel that we must bring a solution because I think often that's what limits the, the the kind of responses that we have because we want to help people we want to help yes. them feel better and and we don't yes. want the discomfort of uh, you know just sitting there and watching somebody cry and not not being able to do anything about it, really being being helpless in in a situation like that, I'm going to take our your calls on zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. That's the number to dial for this morning zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. I'll take those WhatsApp voice notes on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. Are there particular tools that you would like help with when it comes uh, to dealing, particularly uh, with this? conversation around traumatic grief. I'm going to take some of the WhatsApp uh, voice notes that have come through already. Hi, Kathy. I just wanted to say that um, your, the lady who's on your channel now is absolutely right about communication. Oh, she's right about so many things, and it's wonderful that you have provided this discussion. But in our own family, we have had uh, an instance where, very sadly, all the losses almost caused an, an absolutely awful loss, a suicidal loss, um, and we were very, very privileged to find out in time, and all it was is talking and finding out how a person's feeling, and we, um, for the last few days, I've just been talking and phoning and making sure the um, grandparents are fine, but it's a very, very tough time for almost everybody in this world. Um, most of us people and uh, it's very sad and it, we all need to look after each other and especially family um, just whatever a person can do just to create some happiness and some yeah, give people the time of day um, smile at them, help them whatever. you don't have to go completely out of your way it's just um, really really important at the moment and yeah bringing all the bringing positive vibes up in in the world is very good. Anyway, have a lovely day. Thank you. Mm. Anonymous Cape Town. 
anonymous thanks thanks for that whatsapp voice notes apologies there for uh, the poor uh, audio quality but but she's talking about just the power of um that connection and that intimacy the relationship connection and intimacy uh, that that you're talking about and and how in her own family they've been able uh, to work through a situation where um you know they they faced an an, an attempted suicide and all they needed to do, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, is realize that they needed to have been reaching out more to be finding out how somebody is really doing. Mm, sure. Yeah, sorry, I didn't hear that, Kathy. But I, you know, Kathy, we are relational beings. The studies that were done that sometimes when new bonds are completely taken away from any relation and any connection for a prolonged period of time. It can even result to death. That's how important relationships are. Whilst as much as we can get hurt in relationships, we heal in relationships. Even for us as psychologists, when we engage with you, we build a healing relationship. So most of the time when, when trauma comes, it disrupts relationships and it is by reconnecting and intimacy and reaching out. So during COVID, I used to say to people that the best thing you can do is to call someone and just say, how are you? How are you doing? And if you've got a friend that's struggling, say, friend, can we go out for coffee? Just ask how you are not there to fix. Please, we are a, yo, I'm a South African's kid. It's a Tanduk advisor. And actually, this, this pressure to advise comes from helplessness. So you are not there to advise. You're just saying, Gan, I am here sitting with you in your pain. I don't have the answers. I don't even know how we do this, but I'm sitting with you. So definitely, I think, as you say, that just reaching out to the person could have actually been very helpful. And when families do it, it's even more powerful. So really, thank you for that. And thank you for raising the importance of relationship. Trauma can be relational, but the healing of trauma also comes from the relational space. I, I mean, is is it pointing to, to a bigger issue, a relational issue that, that we have, that, you know, perhaps we we are not doing a good job of actually forming true connection and true intimacy in relationships. And and I'm talking about this across the board. I know often there'll be an emphasis placed on, uh, you know, your your romantic relationships, etc. But, you know, connection and intimacy can happen across the board. Family, uh, friends, uh, uh, does it say something about the quality of, of the relationships that perhaps we have around us or that we're building? So, yeah, so definitely we really have to understand the, the, the area that we are, you know, or what is happening currently globally. Social media, Kathy, has compromised intimacy and those of us that are psychosocial practitioners have been bemoaning what social media has brought in because it gives the impression that you are connecting, but you are not really connecting. And most of the time, people in social media, they try to paint the good things that are happening and not the struggle. So social media has compromised that. Um, and other people with COVID-19, they've never really gone back to reviving some of their uh, intimate relationship, but also because we are a society that has really been 
failed a lot by those in power and authority, but also we, we hold a lot of childhood pain where our parents didn't have good relationships because they are the first role model of what intimate relationship, not just not just romantic, but just what intimate relationship are supposed to be. So we are a very guarded society. We hide behind social media. But even when we meet, we can be so superficial and it could be about what are you wearing? How do I look? Again, that is also a symptom of just this deep citizens of worthlessness. So when I am with my friends, I wear a mask. I pretend everything is okay um, and we are not able to go deep and take off the mask and the 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 the, the, the magic word Kate is vulnerability uh, I said last time that Brene Brown said that the biggest work of this generation in her book dare to lead is learning to be vulnerable it is not it, it is actually not bravery but it is vulnerability that will help people to be able to heal. Wow, th- thanks for that. Let me go to Pretoria. Mokoni, good morning. Hello, Khetudiaka. Uh, Hi, Mokoni. Uh, when you are talking, I slightly begin to think and realize why I... I, I, I changed to be a person who's emotional and covered with anger triggered very easily because I lost my home uh, when I was 23 through, uh, you know, the the Sainova. My parents were going to work. Uh, Others were were saying Sainova, it's a strike. And and I was I was having it was just after metric having you know a buzzer with some company away in Tubek somewhere. Next moment I got a call that my house is down. Everything was spent. My certificates, everything was spent. We didn't have anywhere to sleep. I was not working. I was the only one my parents had hope that I'm going to change the lives of the house. And I closed up on this thing and and started developing uh, a changed character. They were related with my my girlfriend who became my wife. They were related with colleagues, uh, acquaintances, friends, even own relatives. Because perhaps it was that hidden thing when anyone tended to touch on something that challenges me. It was like a protective or a a protective response from it, even because I don't have a home. This doesn't seize me simple and weak, and I will just respond uh, in a a manner that will almost put me straight into a prison, you know, the way I relate to people. So uh, when I'm listening to you now, I say probably I've, I've held this thing uh, in my heart. I was a proud man, you know, happily brought up. And when this happened, I could I just couldn't talk to anyone that I don't have a home anymore. And we were not like a, a very... Uh, 
well-to-do family. Mm. I couldn't help them. My uncle gave them a stand in Kwakwa. It wasn't actually his. Uh, and then that stand, after a few years, was invaded by people. Basically, I don't have a home. And whenever someone asks me, where, where were you born? Where's your home? Where, where are your You know, every time. I don't know how to explain myself. And I realized the reason I got changed into this angry man, uh, lack of friends, uh, lonely man, and trying to, to go for, I even went for a PhD. I got a PhD in chemical engineering because I pursued the extreme level of success, but unaware that actually the lack is that hole that was caused by what mm. happened to me. Now, listening to you for the second week now, since last week, I realize I need to talk. So the first person I'm opening up in public about it, it's yourself. And oh. I would want a way forward mm. as to how do I get it even easier for me to, to, to move on. Mukoni, firstly, let me say thank you so much for for calling in and and for sharing um, that story with us. What an incredible um, moment of of reflection that that you have had. Sesnomfundo, let me bring you in here. Sure, Mukoni. First of all, I just really want to honor you for this. What you have just done now is the greatest work of this generation. It is about, first of all, being able to say, how do I show up currently? Um, The anger that I have, the irritation, the pushing people away, and being able to to then even go back and actually realize that, and like you said, it's a hole, that there is this deep hole that I've just been thinking I will fill up by other things, but this hole pushes people away. So for most people, Other people even go to the grave without having realized that who I am now and how I show up is because of a specific trauma. And the fact that you've identified that trauma, you are 50% there in in being able to do the work. And you've also identified the triggers, Mokoni. Now that you know the triggers, you know when there's a conversation about the home, you get triggered. So even before you answer people, maybe you could go move away a bit, go in a place where you can breathe, or even tell people and saying, it's really difficult for me to have a conversation about a home, um, hopefully over a period of time. But you know, because when people don't know triggers, you might have people genuinely wanting to connect with you and be intimate, and you push them away, and they don't even know where that comes from. There's something you talked about that is so, so powerful. And and, and it, 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 I think it's part of a pandemic in South Africa, the issue of shame and pride that a lot of people, when they lose things, we attach value to those things. So our sense of worth becomes attached to our achievements, whether it's a PhD or a house. So when we lose those things, there's this deep shame. And there's a difference between guilt. Guilt is I've done something wrong, I'm a change. Shame is I am wrong, I am worthless. And Shame has destroyed a lot of people in our country. So the fact that you can even name it, Mukoni, it's powerful. And finally, the fact that you now know the trauma, it means you are 
there in the journey of healing. So now I would really encourage you to find a counselor or a therapist or someone who specializes in trauma and go back to that 23-year-old young man and give him a space to talk about his pain. If you can't find someone, have a friend, talk about the trauma, process it. What is it that I learned? What are the lies that the trauma told me? Like the lies around your wealth, the lies that I don't have a home. What is a home? Is a home a building or is a home where your loved ones are? So you can begin to do the work of unpacking. What are some of the emotions that I had blocked that I need to sit with? Because if you don't sit with the emotions, you give them power. So how do you go back and process those emotions so you don't become a prisoner of that? So thank you so much. I think there's a lot of people that can identify with what you are experiencing now in terms of how they are showing up right now. And that is because of what has happened in the past. All right. Thank you so much for that. And, and Mukone, I hope that that advice ha- has been helpful. Um, we're running out of time, says Numfunda. I think I've, I'll, I'll only be able to take one more voice note and give you a chance to respond before we have to wrap up our conversation. Hello. Good morning, Katie. Katie, I developed a drinking problem between 1986 to 1990. I decided on 1990 to go for uh, help. And then after that, um, everything changed in my life. Um, Tomorrow will be the 28th of October. Then I'm sober for 32 years. My wife and family forgave me for the things that happened during that 1986 to 1990. But the main problem is I get flashbacks and I find it difficult to to forgive myself. Mark here from Grahamstown. Thank you very much, Katie. Mark, Mark, thank you for, for sharing Hello, that story. Hello, uh, my name is I'm going to ask you just to respond to what Mark has said for me before we wrap up. Okay, can you just repeat it for me? I couldn't so, so hear basically it. Basically, Mark uh, talked about how he has been, he's a recovering alcoholic, basically. He struggled with substance abuse and even though his family have forgiven him for, you know, the number of years that he was going through this and, and basically what he did, he to date still struggles uh, with being able to forgive himself. And he still has, uh, you know, that re-experience, that intrusion that you talk about, um, you know, thinking back, flashbacks of, 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 of that time and he's unable to actually move on. Yeah, yeah. So, so Mark, I mean, thanks for, for bringing the issue, I think, of, of substance abuse and alcohol abuse, which for me, it's really one of the key symptoms of trauma. So I think there's two things for me. I think the first one is really going to be about dealing with all the shame and doing that work of self-forgiveness. Again, you need to name what is it that you need 
to be able to forgive and let go of. And Katie, sometimes, you know, people who have hurt others can have traumatic experiences, traumatic symptoms from the hurt that they've caused. And what then people usually do, they cover the shame up and pretend to be okay and they hurt people even more. The fact that he can sit and acknowledge that is really, really important. And he might need to really do a work of learning to just create a reset button for himself. But also, Katie, I think the work of identifying what is it that caused that alcoholism? Because usually alcoholism, people have it because they're trying to close another trauma. So heal that original root and original pain and then start that journey really of having a reset. You can't change the past, but you can begin to change what you can do. Find ways in which you can do reparation with the family members. Ask them what you can do that can be able. You cannot change the past, but you can begin to do stuff to bring reparation. Right. Oh, Sis Nomfundo, it, it always seems like we never have enough time uh, for this yeah. conversation, but I think we're all learning so much uh, just being able to uh, glean off of your own experience and your own wisdom in this field. Nomfundo Mohabi is the director uh, for the Centre for Mental Wellness and Leadership. And of course, we are going to continue with this conversation next week. I think next week I want us to talk about uh, and focus on the issue of complex trauma trauma because we haven't touched on it a lot today and I think there are many people that could also find themselves trapped in this cycle of trauma continuous trauma Uh, but for today that's where we're going to leave it it is 11 o'clock